today's episode. Oh, wait. I'm no, that's not what we're doing. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I thought you were hitting record. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hit it. I'm totally ready. Really, Jesse? Are you ready? So ready. Okay. Like, so brought This is the bumper. We're not allowed to have nice things. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> ready graphics? Ready theme? You Hi, I'm Jesse Mullins. And I'm Lauren Milberger. And this is FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. I appreciate office appropriate mullets. Everybody has a Jake Lowenstein. We all have our Jake Lowenstein. Dan Quayle. Dan Quilting. I'm pretty sure that's how she got pregnant. Yeah, oh, me too. <laughs> Spoilers. I have a thing for Jake. And on today's episode, we will be talking about season one, episode four, Signed, Sealed, Delivered. Hi, guys. Hi. Welcome to another episode of FYI, the Murphy Brown Podcast. Oh, we just repeated ourselves. Yeah, we did. We did. We need to find like an actual opening. Uh, first of all, I want to thank everyone for their feedback on Twitter and Instagram. And it's been so cool to hear that feedback and yeah. have it be positive as well. Yeah, you we know? were a little worried. It's pretty easy to assume that people are going to think we're crazy. Because uh, <laughs> it's it's a fact. Because we know ourselves and we know we are crazy. But we, it's been amazing. We've gotten some, some great comments. A lot of uh, sisters and fandom. It's been really cool to get that feedback and um, to hear your encouragement. So it... it Reminds us that we're doing this not just for us, but for a whole fandom of Murphy. Yeah, that's why we wanted to do it. I mean, that's why we have the phone number, for example, um, which we'll mention at the end of the episode. Because we, wa- we want this to be a collective thing. We want yes. to come together with all the people who loved Murphy Brown like we do and still love it. Mm-hmm. Um, among that feedback, we've also gotten feedback from the, the creators, which has been very humbling for us. Very much so. Um, Thank and you, guys. Like we had said, we got some some great notes from uh, from Corby Siamis, um, including that I said her name wrong, and so we just want to encourage that it is Siamis. Siamis. And uh, along with that, we've we've gotten such an amazing amount of kind of insider behind the scenes feedback from her uh, that we actually wanted to give you guys a bit of a, a holiday gift. Yeah. So we have we're going to organize. Of it, <laughs> um, we'll put in a little bonus. Uh, we're, we're actually something we were going to do for the new year anyway. Mm-hmm. On certain episodes, we will have something called After FYI, mm-hmm. which will be extra interviews for an episode, or if we have a guest on and we want to talk to them about a particular topic, so it's a takeaway from the episode. Yep. And they won't be every time, but we'll premiere After FYI segments uh, with uh, some of Corby's insights. Yeah, we're really excited to share that with you. It's we really been, are. It's some really great stuff. We've been geeking out real yeah, hard, and we can't talk about it, but we are talking with some other people from the show, and hopefully, we. In the new year, we'll be able to add things in the episodes themselves. So stay tuned, everybody. Yeah. So should we go into the episode? Let's do it. Great. So Sign Seal Delivered is uh, the fourth episode of season one. Indeed. It is directed by Barnett Kelman. Hey, we've heard that name before. We have. It is written by Diane English. Who's we've that? also I don't know. Some some lady. Some random person. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hopefully this is not the first episode people have listened to. I hope she not. created Murphy Brown, and we're being sarcastic. No, your history. <laughs> Uh, it aired December 5th, 1988. Yeah. And this we're recording this December 3rd, so... We're getting so close. We're getting so close. So close. There are two songs in this episode. It's Sign, Seal, Delivered, I'm Yours by Stevie Wonder and Baby, I Need Your Loving by The Four Tops. Yeah. So Sign, Seal, Delivered, I'm Yours is a single by Stevie Wonder. It was recorded for the Motown Tamla label. It was released in June 1970, and it spent six weeks at number one on the U.S. R&B chart and peaked at number three on the U.S. pop chart. The song was arranged by Paul Reiser, which is not the same not, as the actor. Comedian not mad Paul about Reiser. you, Paul not Reiser. Better. And there's a sitar guitar at the beginning. I didn't realize that's what that was. It it's is a kind sitar. of very cool. Stevie Wonder, like, praise. And uh, it was the first song that he produced on his own. He was 20 wow. years old. Well, you know, he was feeling a little lazy. Waited till he was 20 to yeah, you know, make one of the Well, He was a little Stevie Wonder, song. and then he grew up and just became Stevie Wonder. Just Stevie. Yeah, because they had to distinguish that he was a small child. He was a wee one. He was a wee one. As and it is the first to feature his female backup singing group composed of one of the future Supremes. Oh. Linda Tucker Lawrence. Cool. Past this, including Murphy Brown, um, it became Barack Obama's theme song in 2008. Yeah, it was. And it is played quite frequently when he, uh, for example, spoke at the 2016 Democratic National Convention. No, oh, I remember that. Yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, anyway. Onto the show. Onto the show. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is special because it is the return of Robert, the secretary. Robert, Charlie. 
Charlie my beloved Charlie Lynn. Uh, we have Robin Thomas as Jake Lowenstein. Mm. John Hosletter uh, as the stage manager, again, returning. And Chuck Clayton as the male guy. Male guy. And the reason that I know this is that he has no lines in this episode, mm-hmm. but he shows up in season three and they give him a line. Oh, well, that's, that's really nice. Yeah. That kind of consistency. His name is Bob, but Murphy thinks his name is Ray. It's kind of a thing. It's pretty funny. So we start off with uh, this amazing song, Signed, Sealed, Delivered, I'm Yours by Stevie Wonder. And I love the fact that the music just kind of starts as the Murphy Brown sort of logo comes up. And then it kind of hits with the music. And then we get in and we see the male guy. Is that the first time that we've, we start with the logo of Murphy Brown? And then transition in? Oh my God. Is that why I noticed it so much? It might be. I feel like the other one started with the montage before we got the title card. But that goes into the montage. I may be insane. No, but I, I noticed it so much this time, and maybe it was because of that. I have been skipping around a little bit. Fair. To Fair. kind of catch up, but... Anywho. The this here's thing about this episode. Mm-hmm. First of all, it is the only episode from season one that I have watched the most. Interesting. Even though it's not... It's probably my second favorite, but the reason is, is that, as many people who watch the show know, Jake Lowenstein just come back in season three. Mm-hmm. Very pivotal part of the show. Mm-hmm. And I guess they thought that people would forget about him or who Jake was. So during the sort of, there used to be a time when around like April or March, there would be just reruns. Well, you're sort of gearing up for May sweeps. Mm -hmm. And they showed his episode. Now, as I mentioned before, I started watching in season two. Mm -hmm. At that point, I had been recording all the episodes. And then after that, they played jerry gold's last episode oh. to which i went something's up something's something's getting because well, they were both coming back and they wanted to remind people who they were mm-hmm. so i had these both next to each other on a tape and i watched them it was sort of you know over and over again <laughs> um but it feels now even going back and watching everything in order which i feel like i haven't done since the dvd came out mm-hmm. is this particular episode to me feels more like what the series became absolutely there's but, a certain ensemble dynamic exactly to it that is so quippy and quick and and tight and I, you, it really creates a world within the office. Like there's a, there's a certain camaraderie that, uh, funny, Jim talks about that later, but there's a certain camaraderie within the ensemble, especially in the office and Phil's, that really, I, it's, it's that moment we talked about in the very first episode when we see Candace Bergen kind of settle into Murphy mm-hmm. for the first time. I feel like this episode is the first time we settle into what becomes the dynamic of the show. Absolutely. And then they, everyone is used in the way we're used to them being used, but also their utility is perfectly isolated. So Mm -hmm. you have a part for Eldon, you have a part for Phil, the, the gang is sort of together in their own thing. It's the first time we see Phil, or I'm sorry, uh, Jim. It's the first time I see the Jim that I love later, where he gets these, these little humorous moments where he's not, so far we've just seen Jim as a, probably a well-meaning, but kind of just a stiff, yeah, like straight. He's not man. as layered yet. Exactly, and this is the first time where we see some of his humor, which we'll talk about later. Or the humor of Jim. I'm not sure it's his humor. It's the humor of Jim. It's it's uh it's going against sort of a stereotype, I guess. That yes. Kind of has already sort of you know been established. Yeah, I, th- I think they. That's one of the reasons why I enjoy the shows. The more that they lean into that uh, kind of subverting your expectations with these stereotypical roles, the the more fun we have with it. And I think. Truly, this is the first time where we start seeing that happen with our our supporting characters. Yeah. And I think that's something I couldn't put my finger on watching the first couple episodes mm-hmm. is that it, it just it wasn't that it was not as funny is that it just wasn't what I was used to. Yes. They hadn't sort of found sort of the group mm-hmm. yet. So we have uh, Bob, a.k.a. Ray. <laughs> a.k.a. Mail cart boy. Mail cart boy. Coming down and delivering the mail. Oh, can we talk about the the mullet that he passes real fast? He's my favorite. It's a very office-appropriate mullet. There's well, just a l- not too much party, just a little bit of party in the this back. This is the first episode also where I start to notice the regular office people. Yes. And I and love I, it. And I love that because they're mostly extras, I'm assuming. Eventually, they sometimes sure. get one line or two, but mm-hmm. I love the establishment of that. And then sometimes they're hanging out at Phil's and you're like, oh, that's that the guy. guy with glasses from the thing. The show is the ultimate Easter egg fodder. It really is, yeah. Because some shows don't care about the, that detail. No, and... Particularly sitcoms. Uh, yes, exactly. Well, because it's, it's a quick production schedule and, and so on and so forth. But I just, I appreciate office appropriate mullet. But is the mullet the guy with the glasses? I think so. The thick glasses? Yeah, just, yeah. It's a, like I said, just a little bit of party in the back, but just enough for me to stop it and look at it for a Well, second. it is 1988. Exactly. It's yeah. a beautiful thing. What 
Um, I love next is that we have Robert coming off the elevator and he is super, super nervous. Sweet Robert. Sweet Robert. And there's something that I, I hope maybe we can ask some of the creative team, and I brought this up with Jesse, mm-hmm. is that I'm really curious if they brought him back so many times because he comes back again this season. That's three times. Then he comes back again in season nine. That's the most time. None of the secretaries have repeated. Like that's a, Well, and the a fact feat. that he comes back in season nine. Yeah. Like not, it's not that he comes back multiple times in the same production season. They they specifically bring back Robert, which I think that supports what you're about to say was why. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm curious if they were going to have some recurring or they just kept bringing him back because they loved Charlie Lang. Because Charlie Lang. So uh, one of the packages that is delivered to uh, Murphy's desk with Robert, uh, who looks in the window, he's a little nervous, he's, you know, he's gonna do this this time, is a very large package, which makes him a bit nervous. A little bit nervous. And I'd like to just quickly comment on the fact that all of this is without dialogue with the song playing over Yeah. So when we talked before uh, in the Mile-centric episode about Grandshaw's physical language, mm-hmm. Charlie Lang's physical language in this entire opening because there are no words but you know everything about what he's doing and the fact that he's he's trying really hard he's breathing he's nervous he's tripping on things he's just trying to organize and get himself together like, none of this has a line over it doesn't he take his jacket off at one point sort of neatly put it on yep. the back he's yeah just, it's, it's very specific and uh-huh. so precious so then he um, goes into Murphy's office and what I also love too is that as the song ends Murphy is finishing the lyric because yes. she's got her headphones on and she's typing and he's trying to get her attention and as soon as she realizes it's Robert, um, it's, she's not happy to see him. Let's just say that. She calls him the secretary from hell. She does. <laughs> and he goes, do you remember my breakdown? And she goes, sometimes I relive it. Yes. Just one of my favorite things. <laughs> I also noticed, this is sort of an odd thing, but um, she's wearing some of my favorite earrings. It's like this. Those um, turquoise? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, I, why do I love these earrings? It's because she wears them with a n- matching necklace mm-hmm. in an episode from season three called Uh-Oh, uh, which is when Jake returns, oddly yep. enough. And I don't know if that's on purpose, but that's I, really weird. I, I love me some costumers, and so I would not be surprised if that was a specific choice. I also love that this is such a specific slice of that that time period for me nostalgia-wise because I remember growing up in the 80s and 90s and a very specific love of Native American-inspired outfits and jewelry. And so this this amazing sweater vest that actually has, like, its own lapels to it and the belt buckle and the turquoise earrings, it's, it's a She's nod. She's worn that belt before, I think. Yes, that yeah. buckle we've seen before. And that uh, just that entire outfit screams that time period for me. I have such fond memories of seeing stuff that my mom would wear or, or jewelry pieces I would see in the store that is such a nice little time capsule just in a single vision. It's funny. I don't particularly like it for something that I would wear, mm-hmm. but because I've seen this episode so many times, because there are a lot of there are a lot of publicity pictures for this yeah. particular episode, yeah. considering that it's just fourth. fourth yeah. <laughs> to me, this is this outfit is very iconic to me to this particular yes. episode. So, well, but I don't know like if the, I would wear it. The men's white shirt on underneath with the sleeves rolled up. Which I noticed because you brought up last time about the she sleeves rolled being rolled up. up. And I was like, yeah. So uh, Murphy's not very happy about Robert being there. But Robert cuts to the chase because uh, he thinks there might be a bomb on his desk. <laughs> because we see him lean down and listen to it and then his eyes get huge. Oh, I forgot about that. It's the best. And no words. I love that he says he can handle anything now, including the possibility that there's a bomb on his desk. <laughs> so Murphy comes out and everyone, you know, the gang is like, hey, hey, how are you? And, and she goes very casually, do you think this is a bomb? <laughs> I love that t- the whole office, like, again, the ensemble whole office just like flinches. And then the, in, in tandem, Frank says, oh, sure, we'll be right over there then. And Jim is calls security. Call security. <laughs> And then she's like, oh, but who, who would send me a bomb? And then everyone just yells out names. So many options. So many options. I think the ones that we caught were Barbara Bush, mm-hmm. Al the dry cleaner, mm-hmm. and Jerry Lewis. Fair. Jerry Lewis is very fair. Fair. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree with that one. That, I'm, <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Yeah. So Murphy decides this is crazy. She's going to open the package and everybody just runs. Takes off. Takes off. Robert is kind of up against the wall of her office. Poor Robert. He's just trapped. And she's like, Robert, it's okay for you to go. No, this is part of his recovery. He should stay. And he has one of my favorite lines, which I've mentioned before, is, I'm healing. <laughs> it's so, it's so great. He's just sobbing through it, but he's healing. It's fine. Yeah, I really cu- I'm really, i really curious uh, how much of that was in the script of, and how much was the, of that was him. 
I would I would be very intrigued. It, it makes sense. It makes sense on the page, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was there. Mm-hmm. But I also his performance is so specific. I wouldn't be surprised if it was even inspired by him or if he had some contribution. Uh, so she opens it. Sweet Robert survives to see another day. And she pulls out something that I don't think anybody born past this point is going to recognize. At the time, we did recognize it. And it was a speaker from a drive-in. I didn't know. Theater. I had not been in it. I was at a drive-in once in college. They still have them where I came from. Oh. There are a couple of them back where I came from in the in the Midwest. Well, they were invented in New Jersey. Yeah. So, but I Which never went to one. Which you should know. I know. But we still, there's a n- certain fun nostalgia back in my uh, my tiny area of the world where people still like to go to them. So mm-hmm. I did recognize that. I also think recognized it maybe from Twister. I don't know if we see it in Twister. Oh, though. I don't know. But I would I def- have seen this before Twister. I definitely, once they started talking about it, I knew what they were talking about. But for those who don't, when you went to a drive-in movie, you had to have some way to hear it. Grease. Oh, Grease. Thank you. That's yes, it. Grease. I Continue. think I, I did probably see that before Twister. Um, so you had to be able to hear the movie. They didn't just have big speakers that were blaring out to all the cars. You had your own speaker to create your certain level of intimacy. So she pulls it out and people are realizing what it is. And we get one of my favorite extended jokes, which uh, starts with Jim saying, oh, I haven't seen one of these since I took Doris to see Can Can and we, never mind, as everyone turns and looks because they realize the implication of what happens in a drive-thru. A drive-thru, drive-in. And I want... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome well, to Arby's. Well, you're, you're jumping ahead because for Murphy, it was a drive-thru. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> Uh, and I want to make a point that I, I find it interesting the movies that they do pick because later Miles talks about a movie as mm-hmm. well, which we'll talk we'll wait for because there's a joke there for their generation. Absolutely. So Can Can is a 1960 movie with one of my favorite people, Shirley MacLaine. Although I've never seen Can Can. Oh, we share a birthday. I love Shirley. <gasps> oh, God. she's one of the people. I'm like, oh, we have the same birthday. Well, the apartment is my her. I and Steve McQueen. That's pretty awesome, right? We're we're fabulous. That's that's pretty good. As everyone's enjoying this glimpse and our first little glimpse into. Jim's personal life and Doris, who we have not met yet. Uh, Corky storms in. And I need to pause for Corky's outfit. Because she's it's in this... Very oh, dated. I Are you kidding? I want to wear it tomorrow. You That is totally coming back, by the way. She's in a long sleeve blue dress, a matching blue belt, a red scarf held on with a gold brooch, and some gray pumps. I would wear that tomorrow. It is fabulous. And it looks a lot like... The cor- I almost said the Faith Ford version. The quirky version of Murphy outfits we've already seen. Oh, I could see that. And But it's very fashionable. And I love it. Uh, so she storms in as saying, all right, I want to know which of you comedians drew the mustache on my autographed picture of Burt Parks. And for those who don't remember, Burt Parks used to host the Miss America pageant. Yes. So it's, it's very specific to her history. Yes. And Corky... Sees that, like, oh, is that an old drive-in speaker? And then she says the second beat of this long-running joke, which is, gee, I haven't seen one of those since Billy Joe Bender took me to the Twin Palms Theater and we... Never mind. The way that Faith Ford delivers the never mind is just <laughs> precious. And you're not surprised that Corky would have that kind of memory. What I love about this moment and uh, these comments on it, we've, we've established that it's a drive-in speaker. And we've established these two experiences with drive-ins without having to say we know the implication of what a drive-in speaker means yeah they don't have to spell out oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. that's something that i i do miss you know cable and streaming is great but sometimes when you're forced to um binge no um but i see where you're going yeah. as a writer i mean yeah where you have certain restrictions mm-hmm. that you can't say sometimes the jokes are a little more clever as writers we talk about not being an exposition dump not having to spell everything out for your audience. And so by doing this in dialogue, we know, and especially the way that Murphy's gazing at the speaker, we know that there's a very adult history behind oh, this potential. Oh, that's the thing, too, I forgot to mention, too, is when she opens it and goes, oh, oh, the way that, yes. that Candace says it, it mm-hmm. you're just, it's, there's so many layers to that, and you know there's something behind it, and I just love that reading of it. It is. It could it, just been like, oh, it's, oh. Yep. Yeah. Oh, we talk about the actor choices in this show that, oh, oh, could be said about 30 different ways. The way that Candace chose to say it, Barnett directed the the interpretation of it, the the use of the, the collaboration in this performance gives us so much in two words. 
Yeah. And and the way she gazes at it this entire time. Like she yeah. really doesn't look up from the she speaker. She doesn't. And every time someone goes, is that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's She's phenomenal. just remembering everything. And what I love is Corky then kind of comments on that by as Murphy's going to sit down at the table, Corky says, we can read each other like an open book, especially when it comes to men. That's what it is, it's about. And she keeps pushing her. I'm like, I'm right, aren't I? I'm right. Because she's trying to girl talk with her because she finally has this in. It's like the first time that Corky has this kind of mutual girl land with Murphy. And you can see she's excited because this is something that they both know about. And Murphy picks the best diversion possible and says, I drew the mustache from Burt Parks. I think she did, by the way. Oh, she absolutely did. But it's such a great attempt at a diversion, which, of course, yeah. doesn't work. Murphy's really good at that. She's real good. Except Corky, to her credit, is zeroed in on getting this information. I always love how Faithful goes, no! <laughs> 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 no! So she starts to say, this guy sent her this, this man from her past sent her the speaker. The, you know, I guess you could say with a relationship. I guess you could say we were married. Can I just say the way that Candace says it? I guess you could say we were married. Yeah, it's very like, I'm going to get this out. Just rip the Band-Aid. And then she tries to walk away, which another, we we here at FYI love Frank and Murphy's relationship. The way Frank stops her by being like, oh yeah, no, just remind me to tell you about, you know, the years I spent with Tina Turner. You know, the thing that I wouldn't tell to people that I have share confidence with. I love that he says confidant. (laughs) Yes, a confidant. (laughs) And kind of calls her out on like, oh, no, 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 that's fine. I'll tell you about all the things I've been keeping secret from you. What I love about this episode is the vulnerability that we see in Murphy. Oh, let's talk about this. This is one of my favorite things. It's great because this is the first episode where we see her be girlish. Mm-hmm. We really see, I, it really leans into her femininity and in such a way that she doesn't lose strength at all. But it's so nice to see this woman who is at the top of her field in a male-dominated field who sometimes, you know, like we talk about her walk and everything, might come across as quote-unquote masculine, it doesn't mean she's lost her femininity. Yeah, no, I've, I've talked about this before, that that's something that I felt, you know, sort of later on in the series was lost a little bit. And I think it's very important. Um, mm-hmm. I think that characters can be strong and still be feminine. Absolutely. And as a woman, that is very important to me. Well, it's the idea of equality doesn't mean that you have to assume the identity of the other party. It doesn't mean that you lose yourself in reaching the same, the same level as someone else. Like, mm-hmm. I, there's a... I did a little mini thesis on the the play Top Girls. Sure. And that's something that's examined in it, is yeah. someone who gives up what is considered the, the femininity um, to succeed in a man's world. And if that's necessary or not, I think it's... I remember when I was in college and I went to Italy. And up until that point, I had really felt uncomfortable being too what I considered girly. I didn't want to be in dresses or in pink or those kinds of things because I'd been such a tomboy growing up. And... I'd never been able to experience in a way that, except for maybe this, but I didn't quite conceptualize it yet, where being feminine wasn't a, a weakness in a certain way. Like I, oh, sure. I had been raised kind of feeling like I had to be, I'm a tomboy, that's my thing, and that's what I do. And then I went to Italy, and I remembered seeing these women who were feminine, and it was, and yet still very powerful. And it was the first time that that word registered with me beyond pink, prissy, girly. And I understood that femininity is such a, a wide and complex term. And I think that's something that I love so much about this episode is we see her have these wonderful moments of vulnerability and, and, and girlishness and, and excitement and infatuation. And she doesn't lose her power. And sexual desire. Sexual desire. That's something that I think even particularly around this time too, mm-hmm. you know, you, you rarely saw, you know, Mary Richards. Yeah. Uh, except for th- there's an episode where she, they talk about her being on birth control. But this, this to me felt very new for the late 80s, I Absolutely. feel, for a woman. But going back to the whole vulnerable thing, one of my favorite things in any characters mm-hmm. is I like to see my strong characters vulnerable mm-hmm. and my uh, vulnerable characters strong. Yes. It's a contrast. Yep. And it makes it interesting. And it goes sort of against sort of what we know. Well, they're not a stereotype. Exactly. They're layered. And, I ca- and you care. About, it makes those moments of vulnerability worth it. It, it, they mean so much more to you and you just you add complexity and depth to your character which I think is so important yeah. so anyway so we have one of those moments where she talks about this marriage was a failure and you can see what failure means to her and that she worked very very hard at worked it worked very hard at this marriage it lasted five days five days and what I love is then Frank and Jim pull up their chairs 
to sit and listen. And I love Jim's posture to listen to her. He's on like, he's so proper and a little prim. And he sits on the edge of seat, almost like he's at the opera preparing to listen. And Frank's just like leaning back in his chair. So she shares that they, they met demonstrating at the 68 Democratic Convention. They got maced together. They got arrested together. And they got married after they got sentenced. Aww. Aww. Which randomly makes me think of Ted Bundy, who got oh, married by his God, uh, no. his court guy. Uh, he tricked the court into marrying them, just saying. So the 68 Democratic Convention is quite notorious. And their actual anniversary is specifically August 28th, 1968, which was a very important day within that Democratic Convention. Um, so during that time, uh, there were a lot of protests of the Vietnam War. On the streets of Chicago, there were several, several thousand anti-war protesters. They deployed tens of thousands of officers to try and control the protesters. And then it eventually spiraled out of control. And the police were beating and gassing the demonstrators, um, newsmen and doctors who had come to help. Um, there was uh, fights broke out on the convention floor. Uh, we were talking about Dan Rather getting pushed. Yeah. which was really unheard of and on, huge news at the time. On the air with Walter Cronkite. Yep. And the ensuing riot that evening that where they met was is known as the Battle of Michigan Avenue. It was on television. People were terrified. And my mother talks about it. it was terrifying to watch on TV. Yeah, it, it was a big deal. So the fact that they met that night says a lot about their their respective passions. I mean, and that really establishes who Murphy was back then. Diane has talked about this, that she really is sort of still that, you know, I don't want to say the word activist, but yeah. still that has the same values that she had when Absolutely. she was in her 20s. And the world has sort of gone away from that. You know, more of her friends probably are more like yuppies, but she still has those those same values. Yeah. That's a better word. Yeah. Values. She's who she was. Like, yeah. That's what made her into who she was. It's what led to her becoming this. And I'm, I can't remember because when we see her apartment, it's got the tarps and everything and the table is out. Mm -hmm. But at some point there will be a autographed picture of Robert F. Kennedy. Yeah. And um, it's been spoken that that particularly is there to show like she probably worked on his campaign yep. and you know that was a part of Murphy's life for a time so we know that this person is a specific reminder of that that youth and that past um, their honeymoon was at a drive-in foreign film they didn't even make it through the cartoon they sped out and took the speaker with them mm. so and Corey's like and he sent it back to you that means something I love that actually I, that's a terrible read but he sent it back to you that means something the way she says that means something is almost in the same way that she said all women all famous women all dead I think I'm on to something like she's putting it together and I love her just little like newscaster brain that's starting to grow and then Miles enters and he is he points at Robert, which yes. is such a great little detail. Yes. Hey, I remember you. You're back. You. He has a provocative and controversial new guest, Jake Lowenstein. I, I can I just say that I love this line. Think provocative. Think controversial. Think Jake Lowenstein. <laughs> it's so good. He's like selling his own commercial. Oh my god. And he's gonna tell his story live to Murphy Brown. Oh my god. And based on Murphy's face, and I mean, we all realize that's who this is. And can I just throw in that? now that we've established Jake's name. Yep. Um, this is the beginning of the Jewish Jays of yes. Murphy Brown's life. She has a type. She has a very specific type, at least in the first four years. You go, girl. Uh, and if I may say, Diane <laughs> uh, was married to a Jewish man with the first letter J at the time. Hey, right what you know. Love and War also, character mm -hmm. with the letter J, Jewish man. I'm just saying they have the same type. I might also have that type. A little bit. Uh, so my favorite thing is that everyone's realizing what's happening. And Corky, oh, Corky, loudly proclaims you were married to Jake Lowenstein. You were Murphy Lowenstein? <laughs> and that's my thing. is Miles loses it. Everyone reacts. And Miles loses it, loses it laughing about how you were Murphy Lowenstein. Murphy Lowenstein. And I love the way he says it. Because it's the first time we really see like a really gleefully childlike yeah Miles. and he's doing that sort of voice thing that i love that he does he it's, does more later on it's so good and which leads murphy to say come into my office well and she the, she does the head yeah. thing and and he goes come on not the office i hate the office nothing good ever happens to me in there so moving on we get into the office i love the fact that the dartboard doesn't have its own sign it actually has a valet one and a half one and a half dollar parking sign 
It's huge. It's the actual sign. It's the actual valet so sign. Still- so I'm like, did she drive off with that too? She shuts the door and starts confiding in Miles, lets him know it might be uncomfortable. And he's like, no, it's fine. And she talks about how it's the most incredible time in her life. Everything was big. They fought big. They made love big. The sex, Miles, the sex was incredible. And I love- The kind you never forget. And his- <laughs> Before he finally says, come on, come on, come on, what is this, a slumber party? My favorite thing is just Grant Shad's like, ew, reaction he's having in the chair trying to like... It's like his mom is telling her about his sex life. Trying to make it through until finally he has to burst out. There's a voiceover of this monologue in one of my favorite episodes in season three on another plane. So Mm. I knew this monologue verbatim before I ever saw the episode. Amazing. Because their life flashes in front of their eyes. That's really cool. It's really cool. It's the be- one of the best montages I've ever seen, actually. Um, so he, this is kind of one of the first times we see Miles like, Miles like step up and be the boss, and he says, "I need. It's important to keep a professional distance." And he almost gives it to Jim because he doesn't have a relationship with him. And she says, "No, no, no. That's why I have to do it to so be, be the best interview I'll ever do." And, my, and this is one of my favorite jokes was Miles saying, "I can't have you do that. You'll be picturing him in a gladiator outfit." And I love what Candace Bergen does. She's like, Miles, that's not how women fantasize. And then you just see the dot, dot, dot as she just smirks off to the it's side so making good. it happen. It, it made me do it. I immediately started doing that. And she promises it won't get personal. And as he's walking out, he looks down and he's the third beat of my joke, which he sees the, the drive-in speaker and says, I haven't seen one of these since I took Amy Turlow to see Oliver's story. And we... And you're waiting for the dot, 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 never mind. But it comes out which, with such angst. Something bad happened. Something bad happened in that. Never mind. And uh, he saw a movie starring Candace Bergen <laughs> in the Oliver story. Amazing. So, yeah, just weird <laughs> coincidence. That the, I I never noticed that the first time. Maybe because I had not seen Oliver's story yet, yeah. um, or I couldn't hear what he was saying. And so this rewatch, I went, Oh my god! He went to see Candace Bergen's movie. <laughs> he did. So then we get to Phil's. Murphy comes in in this wonderful purple dress. Oh, that. Her purple like trench shirt dress I love it but it doesn't feel her it doesn't it looks like quirky yeah she looks great in it she's but amazing I feel like at the beginning they, they hadn't sort of figured out her style yet mm-hmm. and this also feels very 80s to me and as we get into the show it becomes sort of a little more yes. 90s and so it feels very sort of out of out of place even though I love it and it I it's something I would wear because I favorite, want it right now favorite color I like you know cinching with belts yep and uh, and we, we see Phil and uh, Phil knows the special interview and she she's shocked you know how how does does Phil know this and he he goes I knew about Watergate before Woodward and Bernstein hell Murphy I'm Phil, which I love the fact that that's in the very first episode he talks about how he told Nixon you're not a crook, he uh, he's he's good yeah. and and we'll 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 get more to that at the end of the season Got a good brain. yeah. So he has a table reserved for her. She orders some sparkling water. Um, and then the gang shows up. Another great example of them coming in as a group, which the becomes, becomes a thing. And, uh, and Murphy doesn't believe they just happen to show up because it's corned beef and cabbage night. I love the phrase like, oh, Murph, I didn't know you were going to be here today. Uh, <laughs> and Jim, Jim is like, oh, you know, I, I'm only here because the, the camaraderie of journalism. You. Then when they go off, he goes, how will we see? <laughs> if we sit back here, how can we see anything? <laughs> it's one of my favorite things. Oh, Jim, you're not good at the center. No, you're not. So then uh, Phil comes to the table to give her a drink. And he says he hasn't seen her nervous before. And he's seen her interview everyone from Kishinder to Quail. And it's our first Dan Quail reference. It is our first Dan Quail. Not a joke. Eventually we'll have a bunch of jokes. But it's our first. I feel like we oh, should definitely. ding a bell every time Dan, <laughs> Dan Quail. Quail. Dan Quail. Dan Quail ding. Ding. And, and Murphy's like, I'm fine. You know, people change after 20 years. They put on weight. They look a little different. How much chemistry could there be? And he comes in the door. Whoosh, like, just in like wind and light into Phil's. <laughs> and Murphy goes, oh, God, I want him. <laughs> just such a, such a great line. It's funny because back then I thought 20 years was such a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking of people that I oh. knew 20 years ago. Well, actually. And uh, yeah, if they walked back in, I might also go, yeah, let's just let's do just it. Find a, a hotel room. You can also sort of see like Frank and Miles kind of sh- struggling to see mm-hmm. like over the it's such great little bits, little bits like that. So they're both, you know, really kind of in awe of seeing each other again. Jake Lowenstein has the best hair. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the oh, '80s hair. I love that. I hair. like it better in season three when it's it's short. All that long hair. But I'm also clouded by the fact that I have a bit of an issue with Jake yes. Lowenstein. He needs to grow up. Which in this episode, which is what we're talking about, yeah. both of them need to grow up, actually. That's true. 
So, so that's right. Yeah, Jesse doesn't want me to talk about this. We need to wait. I want to go episode by episode. No, you're and right. Look you're at right. The person who's in front of it's, us. It's 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 hard because I I didn't think that I could separate my thoughts about Jake Lowenstein in this episode, but I have to say, going back and watching it, I was able to. I, yeah. I feel like I really can appreciate how good this episode is, mm-hmm. how great their chemistry is, how they are attracted to each mm-hmm. other, and and I'm not disgusted by it. Yeah. Well, because. This is in this episode. It's the first time they've seen each other in twenty yeah. years. It's not later in the series when they've seen each other more recently. It's and it's the first time that we understand that maybe she has a pattern, but we haven't seen the destructiveness of that quite well, yet. I think it's his pattern, but we'll get onto that in a couple of years. Okay, so <laughs> we all have patterns, and just blaming one person for well, a dual choice true. is a problem. See, that's the thing is, I, I, I do, I think it is much more complicated than I am talking about, and since I can't get into it. Well, yeah, and I think bias I, is bias, and we're we're human, and we have bias, and especially yeah. when you have like a, our girlfriend got hurt, which is how we feel about Murphy. Of course, we're going to villainize the other person, mm-hmm. but I think looking at this, and especially in this particular moment, no one's a bad guy here. No, and it, and and it's also it's not all just about him leaving her. It's not, but um, that hasn't happened yet. So hasn't happened yet. Strike so that from the record. Where was I? They try to have a you know professional conversation and Murphy just goes you have an amazing body oh god whose voice was that uh, and then I love the moment when we'll get the sex out of the way first no no they both at the same time going oh oh is, is this yes. sort of great sort of merging of two actors working really well together and overlapping just enough well and I think that that supports the thing these two are both equally invested in this moment there yeah. is not one person cares more or wants more out of this moment than the other one does they're mm-hmm. in tandem together and the actors show that as well yeah um if he brings up something that jake does that really gets to her which is he crinkles his eyes no. which when i was a kid i didn't know what that meant oh my yes i had to i had to i had to ask and find out i have a special love of eye crinkling yeah. i kind of love this line reading for some reason the way that that candace does uh you're famous i'm famous let's act like famous people in a public place the way that it it becomes sort of almost like two sentences. Yes. It's sort of interesting because it shows the awkwardness of her trying to get that sentence out. Yes. And also, you know, trying to, like she said, keep it professional. Their awareness of who they are in the world. We talk about the jokes made at Murphy's expense to to be the way that the audience views her and feels like they have ownership of, of her person and, and her brand. She is aware and brings up the fact that they are both larger than life. And as we've talked about how much does the public need to know by doing things that are potentially damaging in public and not being able to separate personal, personal and professional means more. But I think also it, it gives an excuse to not, she wants to be professional. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's a way to go, okay, She's let's, reasoning with her. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this can be sort of our, our roadblock yes. to act like human beings and not. But yes, this is something that I can focus on that will keep me at bay. Yeah. Uh, then Miles shows up and uh, like a third wheel that he is, <laughs> sits down in the middle of, you know, the conversation mm-hmm. and uh, it gets awkward. Well, I love that Miles is there for corned beef and cabbage day. Oh, that's right. He is. She's like, oh, like a very like, oh, you too. And he's like, what? It's corned beef and cabbage day. He's so excited. <laughs> And uh, they try to have an interview and she says he's crinkling his eyes and Miles doesn't know what that means. And uh, then Murphy gets really, really hot. And I love that Jake's like, she runs a little hot sometimes. The frozen food section. And then Miles is like, oh, man, you could just ask me not to sit here. Yeah, pretty much they imply that they had or tried to have sex in a frozen food section of a grocery store. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Murphy feels they need to take a break. Because she's starting to want the feel of a pot pie between her shoulder blades. Yeah, craving the feel of a frozen pot pie. <laughs> and like we, we have five days. Seems to be a pattern with us. Which, aware of themselves. Yes. Just a, I just want to quick call out Robin Thomas, the actor who plays Let's talk about Jake Robin Lowenstein, Thomas. Um, who is such a handsome creature who has just gotten better looking Jesse has age. a thing for Jake. I have a thing for Jake and it's, I have to say, obviously shown up as a young woman. He looks much better in season three, I'm just saying. He does. Doesn't mean he's not handsome anyway. Uh, Oh, he's handsome. I get the Jake Lowenstein thing. We all have our Jake Lowensteins. We are all, we've all gotten into those patterns. Everybody has a Jake Lowenstein. We all have our Jake Lowenstein. And I, while I've luckily broken my patterns of the Jake Lowensteins, I still appreciate and a lovely and 
nostalgic, tender place, my my Jake's. I just think he doesn't think with his head all the time. Nope. And you know what? At a certain age, that's fun. And that's fine, which we will talk about later. In your 20s. Yeah. Not in your 40s. Which is something that they discover eventually. Uh, But it's a... Oh, Jake. He loses interest. But anyway, okay. Um, Not in this episode. No, he doesn't. Sorry. I'm trying. I'm trying, guys. I'm really, really trying. Uh, Continue, Jesse. So we have Robin Thomas, who is... If you don't know him by the name, you definitely know him. Yeah. He has been in everything um, except, and I feel personally victimized by Robin Thomas's choices, has not been in a single iteration of Star Trek, which I feel like is insane based on the fact that he's been in Who's the Boss? He's been in Matlock. He's been in The West Wing. He's been in like every Criminal Mind CSI type of show. He's in Summer School, yes. a classic film. He's also in uh, My Sister Sam. He's in Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. He's Greg's father. Most importantly to me, he um, is guest in an episode of Murder, She Wrote. Oh. And I was probably one of the only kids my age who knew him prior to and therefore recognized him in the Disney Channel original movie Halloween Town and as Calabar and then in the sequel Halloween to Calabar's Revenge. Wait, is that the one that... Um, Debbie Reynolds? Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of it. Never He's seen it. He's the bad guy in the first two movies. He's good at being a bad and guy. And I recognized him, and I was probably the only one. But if you are of a certain age and loved those movies, he's Calabar. What really got me was looking him up, because um, I, I know a little of his work, mostly from this. He'll always be Jake to me. Obviously. Um, he's also a professional sculptor, like a pretty successful sculptor. And I bet he's good with his hands. Oh, Jake. I really walked right into that, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, you did. Oh, yeah. Jake. <laughs> I, th- I think for Murphy, we know he is. Oh, we know he is. Yes. <laughs> um, and he did a show called Life Unexpected, which had one season that mm-hmm. I loved that my friend Austin was in. Um, while we may have conflicted opinions about Jake Lowenstein, we love Robin Thomas. We do. But Robin, you should um, join Star Trek Discovery so I can check you off my list of people I love. Uh, so we transition to Murphy's home. And Eldon! Eldon's there! Uh, Eldon's in his leather jacket. Eldon's in a pink and black argyle button-up shirt and um, some lovely, uh, why am I trying to say saddle shoes? He's worn those before. Those yeah. are great shoes. Uh, but the whole outfit is phenomenal. Except for the sweatshirt, which is obviously a plant. Obviously planted because no one's wearing that. And Murphy is in this black dress. Hooey. It is um, very open back. But- and I wanted to point out there's a theme to Murphy's outfits where everything seems to have lapels. And I want to oh, know yeah. if that's intentional. That's I know a- I know that that's of the time period. Sure. But not everything in that time period had a lapel to it. And the like the business suit Most element of her to that stuff does though. Does, that's my thing that I noticed. I'm like, even her sweater in the beginning had a bit of a lapel curl to it. This it's dress business-y. has a lapel. Like all her casual wear has a lapel, her dress wear has a lapel, her work wear has a lapel. I mean, I, I remember my outfit to my brother's bar mitzvah was a dress with a lapel. Yeah. Like it was just a I mean, thing. I know it's of the time, but I'm saying it's probably a it's a theme. I believe so. Um, so Eldon has a great line about the dress. Well, first, what's great is that you don't see the back. And then she turns around because she's setting a table. Ooh, that back. And it has no back. Yep. And, and Eldon is convinced that, that she's, you know, doing this for this man. And she's like, no, Eldon, this is just professional. Women just like to feel attractive to men. It's just a thing. And he's like, what about this dress? It's on backwards. <laughs> It's one of my favorite lines that he's ever said. And I noticed before it's commented on that there are clearly two paint cans set there to be the chairs. Yes. I want to know what happened to her chairs because her other... Well, she does... Where's the living room set? Exactly. Where'd she take it from? Like, was he painting that ceiling in particular? But some furniture pieces are there, but the chairs aren't. I get like the gag of sitting on... On paint cans is amazing. It's great. But it's already set up. For it that. always reminds me of when all of a sudden a character needs to watch television in an episode yes. and there's a television Suddenly there when there would never television. was a television. And what I love is after that moment about the dress, the doorbell rings and she immediately, after he says, she says, you know, women don't want to, mm-hmm. uh, they dress up for themselves, not for the men. The doorbell rings and she immediately grabs that planted sweatshirt and throws it on herself and zips it up. And what I was I like, thinking? What was I thinking? And We've all had that moment. And I love Eldon's commentary that guys never get to see this part of it. We're always on the other side of the door. Meanwhile, there's a whole show going on over here. He's like show going on over here. It's truly frightening. And he's, it's, it's, such a, it's such a great kind of first moment of their eventual relationship. Yeah. It's the first time we see him kind of messing with her. And then he, Jake comes in, looking fantastic. And he's grilling him like a dad. Like, do you make a good living? And then says... But I love the fact that he was already asking. Does yeah. he make a good living? Yeah. 
And then, so Jake, you make a good living. Uh, and then says, I'll leave through the back door <laughs> and walks out. And my favorite thing in this moment is that they pull the paint cans up and they're about to get ready. She turns on the recording and then goes, wait a minute, I don't have a back door. Eldon! And he walks in, just head down, doesn't make eye contact. She's like, nice try. Thank you. He says it really quickly, too. Yep, it's it, just like it's all the way It's in succession out. after each other. It's and really great. the entire audience applauds. It's such a quintessential Eldon Murphy moment. Just nice try. Thank you. On his way out. This is that moment that I'm talking about when she gets this. It's the first legit like, oh, feminine voice that Murphy has when he hands her the present. Yeah, it's very. It's like, you got me a present. I didn't get you I didn't anything. I didn't get you anything. It's such a, it's such a feminine moment and, and vulnerable and sweet. And mm. he's the first person to bring that out in her. And that's why I think regardless of what happens, there's a, there are good things in every relationship. I think also sometimes in relationships like that, you kind of become the age you were when you were with exactly. them. Exactly. It's, and she says that she says, I, skipping a little bit to the end of the section, but mm. she says, "I lose a little of myself when I'm with you," and this is something it scares me. You don't understand that effect somebody has on you without time. Yeah, and I don't think she would have realized that about him, which is something that leads to growth in the future if she hadn't met him after the fact. Like, you don't realize that when you're a kid in the moment, mm-hmm. your 20s, and now as she's pulled back into who she was and that excitement and that youth, she realizes what happens when she's with him. So he brings up their song, which is Baby, I Need Your Lovin', which is a song we love. It's by the Four Tops. Um, it was also instrumentation by the Funk Brothers, who we love. It's only about four years old when they met. So it's still a relatively recent song. Yeah, good choice. And um, it's just, a, it's a lovely, sweet song that... And they dance. And they dance together. And you hear them talking about, we haven't fought yet. Yeah, when we fight, it always ends up in the bedroom. and Which is implied before, too. That like Absolutely. They pretty much, she says it to Miles, right? Yeah. That they just, we fight. they fight, they have sex, they fight, they have sex. Yep. Um, and they, you know, they keep having these moments of being kind of like the, the magnets that are being drawn toward each other, then springing apart and drawn toward and springing apart. And she says, no, no, you know, you fly by the seat of your pants. And she says, I need to be prepared. Yeah. And... A lot of stuff that they say about each other is very true. It is. And you see this, you know, opposite attract a dynamic that they have that she is meticulous. She prepares herself so she can do her job. And he is this passionate activist who flies to wherever he needs to go. That's also Murphy's type. Absolutely. She likes the opposite attract. She She likes a challenge. She loves being challenged. And I think there's something we talk about, you know, being strong women, that you need someone who challenges you, who can take your power away in a safe way. See, and, I love this stuff yeah. because I feel like most sitcoms don't establish these things. No. And and everything comes from an organic place. Mm-hmm. It all, you know, sort of melds together. And I, and I, I love character. I'm just obsessed with character. And, and television, that really is what is the important part. It's about Absolutely. the character. Yeah, that's what, te- that's what invests you in the story. Like, you yeah. can tell a story, but if we don't care... We're not paying yeah, attention. Movies, you can have a great plot, maybe not such great characters. But in television, you have to have great characters. In my ideal world, it's everywhere. Um, so, well, yes, but mm-hmm. that's usually the, yeah. Shows itself in this memoir. He says, saying, you know, we don't need to prepare. Just ask me this thing and I'll do my job. And she says, hand over 20 minutes of primetime television so that you can make a speech. Yeah. That's and Jake. Self that's Jake. That's Jake. And, um, but that's the way his passion works. That's the way he yeah. demonstrates. Whereas she is somebody who wants to have control and it's her interview that she is conducting and so she needs to keep control she says that he says yeah whatever it is you have to control it and what i love is like as they're fighting with each other they're just no nonsense undressing themselves preparing for what's gonna happen wrote memory that's what you do you fight you take your clothes off while they're yelling at each other without even commenting they're taking clothes off which is another reason why i feel like they gave her the sweatshirt yes so she had something to (laughs) take take off off. and the earrings she put her hair up so she takes her her hair down i was like how many pieces can we do for you to undress without being naked yeah she only do so much especially with that back on primetime television. Yeah. Um, so, and what I love is that they realize they have to stop. And he says, dress like that. You know how I, you know how I get when I see you in a sweatshirt. I also love how she waves him away. Like she walks backwards. She's like, no, 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 no we can't <laughs> do this. And he's like, it'll be quick. An hour. And then we can think again. It'll be quick. It's an hour. <laughs> so good. And so, you know, she puts her foot down and says, no, we can't see each other. I'll see you at the interview. And, and sends him on his way. But what's great too uh, is that she, he keeps trying to talk and she goes, hurry 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 mm-hmm. and i always thought that was such a very interesting line reading and in one of our emails with corby yep. um she mentioned that that was not how they thought 
they, the way they'd written it that they thought that it was going to be said and yep. it's such an interesting way that um, actors um, can sort of interpret in a different way and it becomes something that they were not expecting yeah what Candace Bergen did with that line is hurry. it stands out because it's she, it's me, she needs him to it's hurry primal. because <laughs> she cannot have sex with him right now yes and she wants to. There's truth behind that. There's so much truth behind There's that. There's some life experience behind that. Uh, and so we we cut to uh, it's showtime. It's it's the uh, the gang is in a huddle. I love this. They're psyching Murphy, you know, up is the first time that Jim calls her slugger. Yep. Which I, I love that. I, I awed out loud. Well, I, I've been make I've been waiting for these. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm waiting for the first time that Murphy says geez. Yeah. Because I realized a couple years ago that. I, it is in my vocabulary now, mm-hmm. and I can only blame Murphy Brown for that. Um, as a Jewish girl, saying "geez," yeah, I blame um, the Midwest in general. But. Yeah, but <laughs> um, but Miles says it actually for the first time in, in this episode, but not Murphy yet. So we have our first slugger, and then <laughs> Corky sort of ruins everything. But <laughs> Corky, there's but, so many like, oh, yeah, Corky. She, she doesn't understand what they're trying to do. No, she's just excited. Yeah, I saw him in the dressing room, and he looks really good. Really, really good. <laughs> Oh, uh, no, you're not supposed to do that. It's like, oh, Corky, yeah. no. And then they go, break, and they clap their hands. I love that. Mm-hmm. And so Murphy uh, is trying not to look at Jake when he comes in for the interview, because apparently he looks really good. She, sa- she says, I heard, because I heard you looked really good. Yeah. And so Jake, he's just sort of rattling on, and he can't sleep, and, and she's all he can think about, and maybe they should try it again. And that's when she looks up. And that's right when they start. Yeah. And she's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. And so it's in their minds and they have to do this professional interview. But then, you know, Jake cuts it because she's she offers this hypothetical because the the big issue is this company, Rayco and Peru, that Jake is trying to you know get out because he feels like it's hurting the people. And she says, well, what if the people of Peru wanted Rayco to stay? Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to answer her hypothetical. And finally says, well, what if I asked you to marry me? And everyone in the studio is, is riveted and just like, oh, whoa, what, what is happening? Except for Corky. Yes. yes. Say yes. Because yes. Corky still is too young to understand consequences. She's also a romantic and she doesn't yes. know the background. Like, she doesn't. Again, you're being very harsh with something that without the info. I know. No I'm, one's told Corky. I'm she, just also Murphy being hasn't funny. I'm just also being funny. But again, like we don't know everything yet. Hindsight is phenomenal. But... Oh, no, no. I meant the consequences of what we know now. Yes, exactly. But she's known him for now 10 days. Yeah. Maybe wait to say, let's get married. Again, context is everything. Yes. No, I'm talking about context of this episode. I'm being good. I'm not going to talk about season No, I'm backing up Corky here, though. It may have been 10 days, but they have 20 years together. And if somebody comes back into your life and you're someone who's a romantic... Yeah, it's fine to. We're, but they to haven't root known for that. each other for twenty years. They've known of each other for twenty years. Of course, we can say that now. But supporting the idealist romantic on set yes. who doesn't know that they yes. haven't been able to be near each sure. other this whole time. Maybe she thinks that they've had a whirlwind five days where they really whatever, and then they had to like take a break because no, it was no. too much. Maybe she I sees know she's the romance. I get it. I think it's also just youth. But anyway, I, I'm not trying to say bad things about Corky. Hey, I'm all for laughing at Corky. I'm just saying I think it's forgivable, especially because Oh, I'm not No, I don't especially think it's a because terrible thing. Murphy, who is 40 years old and not a youth anymore, is just as swept up by the magic. So yeah. you can say youth. Yeah, however, that's true. Your lead who is not the child I'm really biased, is swept guys. up in I'm it. sorry. I'm so I'm here I'm just here to call out. No, no, I I appreciate that. Yeah. You need to keep me grounded. I will and, keep you grounded and, while I yell and, about Corky. And I, I'm a little more biased about Mr. Lowenstein than I thought. J- Jacob, Jacob Lowenstein. I don't know if that's his real name. I'm just oh, saying that's his name. Oh, I forgot to, though, going back really quickly. Their headline stories. Um, no, no, no. Um, there's a great line in the scene before this that I forgot to mention is that Murphy says, I need to do this interview on my own terms. No punches pulled, no edges blurred. Mm. I just kind of love that sentence, the rhythm of it. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of want to mention it. Well, I want to mention that the stories tonight are Frank is doing skyscraper safety um, in safety standards in high-rise buildings. And Corky is in is talks with 12 angry women in hairdresser horror stories. And who's the picture? Well, there's a picture of somebody with a hairdresser horror story. And that that's our good, our new good friend, Corby Siamis. And we're saying her name correctly. We sure are. <laughs> uh, I love that it's 12 angry women. 12 angry women. <laughs> also, Murphy and Blue again. Yeah, there's a lot of blue. There is both of them, really. So anyway, so so Murphy has this this marriage proposal, and finally she relents and answers his question and says, "Yes, I will marry you." Hypothetically, I would say yes. Yes, everyone in the studio is 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 <laughs> agog. 
And but Murphy is still in her FYI voice yeah. is, you know, um, I answered your question. You answer mine. You know, we're, we're still going to do this interview. Yeah, she's like, she's okay. still got control of this. Here's part of the bargain. Yeah. Which I love that she has this moment of romantic magic, but it's in her terms. Mm-hmm. It's in a controlled. All right. I'll answer you as a professional and a woman and do this job. Yes. And so that's where the show cuts off uh, of our taping of FYI is it ends with him going, okay. And he goes in to answer it. And then we flash forward to after the show and they're sitting on set with our date books out. Oh, we can't do the week of the fifth because Murphy has to fly to Moscow to interview, interview Gorbachev. What about the end of the month? Oh, no good for Jake. Um, there's probably gonna be a coup in Chile and he thinks he should be there. <laughs> what about March? Well, she can't plan that far and well, he'll probably be in jail. Uh, so let's get married now. This is also literally a similar scene with her and Jerry Gold. Yeah, I, but I love that. Like, okay, now here's the reality. When do we get married? And he says, come live my life. And what I love about that is to him, his life is romantic and who wouldn't want to live it? Oh, no, he's a vi- Jake lives in a very romantic world. Of course. That's why he is. He's impetuous. Mm-hmm. He everything about Jake is great for his job. Exactly. It's, it's not great, great for, for life. Him. And what I love is her reaction is what about my life? Which is feminists of the world rejoice at that line and how they start how they're both actually inflexible. Like Jake may be a free spirit. But he's just as inflexible as Murphy is. But that's also going to be something that's going to be Murphy's M.O. Yes. Is her job is always going to come before relationships. Yes. And, and that's hard for a lot of women. Absolutely. Because it's, it's okay and even impressive for a man to be his career first and the little woman will watch at home making generalizations, of course. But that is something that is lauded for men and for women it's well, what about your love life? What about the children? What about this? It's There was a great moment on the red carpet a few years ago when Jennifer Garner and Ben Affleck were both on press tours uh, while they were still married. And she was constantly asked, how do you do it? Juggle a family and a career. And both she and Ben Affleck, to his credit, called out, why aren't you asking him that at the same time? I, I hate to keep bringing up this uh, this episode in season three but mm-hmm. that literally is what conversation yeah. that Jake and Murphy exactly. have. And He's like, they had wives. Yep. And that's what I think is so important that we're setting up for later already. Mm-hmm. We're not waiting until that episode to set up this conversation. And it's, it's already happening. Because exactly. you can't have a story without conflict. And you have two people with equally high stakes of, I don't want to give up my life. I don't want to give up my life. I want you to give up your life. And they're both strong enough characters. Like whether we like Jake eventually or not, he's a strong character with a strong point of view. And that kind of conflict is what makes an interesting scene. Absolutely. And what I love is that she just says, you know, if you can give me five days every 20 years, that's enough for me. And then they just and start they kiss going for the at first it. Time. That's yes. interesting because you don't realize that they haven't kissed yet. They've barely touched. Yeah. And so then when they kiss, Have it's they like... Even touched they shook hands did they shake hands i don't think they did no because she's sitting at the table she can't yeah. even move they've only they danced the yeah. only time they touched was dancing yeah that's right they were dancing and i love it so they they just like come together and it's like and a, she's pulling a his shirt out already yeah. and they lean back on the desk and this is whole fantasy moment which i love like as opposed to a gladiator outfit this is murphy's fantasy this on the desk yes if the desk is sturdy i'm pretty sure that's how she got pregnant yeah oh me too Spoilers. Um, um, and what I love, though, is that everyone was hiding in the set and they all just get out and they're all just looking disgusted. Faith just looks down like, oh, God. And they all just they climb out from underneath that desk, from the background. I love that they don't even move. Yep. They just stay there, wait for everyone to leave. And the last moment is that Miles starts to linger and just kind of like check out their moves. And Frank is the one who grabs them and pulls him off set. I love the fact that the line is, how's the desk? He's asking, is yeah. it OK if we have sex on the yep. desk? And her answer is sturdy. Sturdy that's not a question like no, that's gonna happen sturdy. like that's the place we're gonna do it <laughs> so here's the question do yeah. you think that they did have sex in or did they just realize they need to go back to her house oh no i think they had sex in there that's i odd. absolutely do because of the fact that they just wait for everyone to leave they do and i think murphy has a certain power and confidence that no one's coming in there now that's her home turf exactly the word will be spread no one's to come in there <laughs> except them <laughs> my mom listens to this <laughs> Sorry, mom. I hope you're laughing. My mom listens to this also. Sorry, Lauren's mom. I hope you're laughing. Sorry, Jesse's mom. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's the end of the episode. Yeah. So one of my favorite episodes of season one, we get to meet a very important character in Murphy's life. Yeah. Great clothes. and uh, Great clothes. I have to hold my tongue about my feelings about Mr. Lowenstein until later. I am ready to join you on that 
bombastic and fiery dialogue when it happens. I understand. I'll be right there with you. I, I'm holding my tongue. So in two weeks, our next episode will be Murphy's Pony, which will uh, drop on Christmas Day. Ew. It is also the same day that Antenna TV will start showing Murphy Brown. Now, yes. it's only going to be Christmas episodes. Yes. Because the marathon of all of their Christmas episodes and then the actual series from the beginning will start in January. Yay. Um, so you should watch Murphy's Pony on Antenna TV and mm-hmm. then listen to that episode. That'll be awesome. Yeah. Follow us on social media, if you would, please. Yep. We're everywhere. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, even our website. They're all Murphy Brown Pod. We also have an amazing Spotify playlist, which is linked on our website. Yes. There's Murphy- a little FAQ section. Nice. Mm-hmm. MurphyBrownPod.com. It's the Murphy Brown Empowerment Playlist. It's music from and inspired by Murphy Brown. It's a lot of Motown, people. You're going to love a lot it. Of Motown. And a couple of little special extras in- inspiration. Yes. Uh, we also want to encourage you to leave us a review on iTunes. Now, if you don't have uh, iTunes, you can leave a review on Google Play and Stitcher. But if you leave it on iTunes, it really helps us get more exposure. Yes. And and we also want to hear what you think, how, how we're doing. We, we want to connect with you. Another way you can connect with us, aside from leaving a review, is leaving us a short message on our voicemail on how Murphy influenced you or, or what it meant to you. And um, we might feature that on the show. Yeah, we really would love to do that. 646-450-6902. And the number is also in our show notes. Yes. We'll see you in two weeks. For another edition of FYI. The Murphy Brown Podcast. Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle. <laughs>